You're listening to the Beauty Brain Show, where real scientists answer your beauty questions. And now, here's Randy and Perry. Welcome to show 161. You know, personally, I feel that our palindromically numbered shows are some of our best, but... I don't want to get expectations. Yeah, I completely out. agree. But anyway, remember I, back in 2002, <laughs> the year of the palindrome. Let's stay on track here. Hey, I'm Randy uh, Schuler, and I'm joined in the studio by my peerless podcasting partner, Perry. Hey, Perry. Hey, Randy. How's it going? Good. It's been a little while. It's huh? been a while. So we're going to make up for lost ground with lots of good stuff today. Uh, we're going to talk about. Uh, here, here's what we're going to tell you today. Uh, We're going to tell you what to look for in an inexpensive natural lip balm, how Korean beauty anti-aging masks work, and why baby shampoo is perfectly okay for adults. Oh, that's exciting. Ah, But before we get to all that, uh, do do we have another edition of uh, Where in the World is Kellyanne Conway or whatever we call this bit? (laughs) Uh, Perry Romanowski? Yes, 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 that's what I meant. Well, yeah, no, I've been I've been busy. Uh, you know, we haven't had a, a show in a while, so it's given me some time to travel. Um, I actually had a couple of trips out to New York, where I had one of them. I attended the uh, the trade show uh, for the Society of Cosmetic oh, the, Chemists, the Secret Society. Yes, yeah, it was featuring all of the latest offerings of cosmetic raw materials. Oh, Very exciting. Yeah. And and you know what I learned? What's that? There isn't much different there than there was last year. <laughs> you know, it's really quite amazing how little changes in raw materials. I mean, there's just like tweaks of different surfactants or maybe new blends of preservatives or new marketing angles. But when it comes to the ingredients, you know, the stuff that's actually going to have a noticeable impact on your cosmetics, I, I really didn't see anything. What an inspiring This is an inspiring yeah. segment for our listeners. Well, I, I just wanted to point out this is why all the innovation in the cosmetic industry it comes from the stories that the marketers are telling. Uh. So the products that you're getting are, uh, you know, they're perfectly fine products and they work great. But you know, to sell stuff, you need good stories and. Uh, because the technology doesn't change that much. Yeah, or to put it another way, there's not enough new technology to really fill all the new product needs that are out there because every year companies have to launch new products. So there's a lot of tweaking and revisiting of technologies. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, I, I guess I should mention that uh, in by spending some of the time off, I, I did spend some of that uh, working on launching a new shampoo and conditioner line. You lo- Wait, you launched your own shampoo and conditioner line? Well, it's not just my own, you know. I was working with somebody else, right. you know. I was I was moonlighting, <laughs> but uh, and I'm not gonna I'm not gonna spend a lot of time here on the beauty brain talking about it because there's actually qualities of the the way it's marketed, which uh, you know are in direct contrast to how we would encourage people to do stuff on the. Beauty hey, brain. let me just check with the lawyers. Hey, is this does this go against our vow not to sell products? That it's ske- okay. It's sketchy at best, so. Uh, well, anyway, let me tell you a little bit of it. The, the line is called Feek, and, you know, we finally, uh, you know, I recorded a show with you, and I think I talked to you about the the name. Yeah, how much I despise you, the name. Yeah, you hate it. But now I, I've kind of come to embrace it. Like, Feek, it rhymes with unique. Feek is unique. So. <laughs> but anyway. Stupid So name. if you're interested in that, you can go to Feek.com for more information. Yeah, because people are going to know exactly how to spell Feek. Come on. 
P H I Q U E. Feek, right? Today's show brought to you by Feek. Well, anyway, it's been a fun experience going through the entire process of coming up with an idea, creating the formulas, getting it made, and then setting up the system. It really is, it was almost as exhausting as putting together a new Beauty Brains podcast. <laughs> I hear that. Uh, speaking of that, uh, should we move on to the uh, beauty science news? Excellent. I'll take the first story. Uh, you know, normally we say that you shouldn't believe all the hype about dangerous cosmetic ingredients, but it turns out that some cosmetic ingredients are so hazardous that Homeland Security has gotten involved. Really? Well, yeah, now the danger is not from using the cosmetic products, those are safe, but certain raw materials in high concentrations can be weaponized. Now, for example, here are three common cosmetic ingredients that can be used in explosive devices. And if there are any terrorists listening, please cover your ears. First, there's triethanolamine, which is a, a pH control agent, right? You're familiar with that. Sure, Did you sure. use that in Feek? No, don't answer that question. T-E-A. Uh, <laughs> no, it's, it's not in Feek. <laughs> hydrogen peroxide, which is used in hair lighteners and hair coloring products, a bunch of other things. And then powdered aluminum, which is used in color cosmetics. So in sufficient quantities, those actually can be dangerous should they fall into the wrong hands. So Homeland Security is working with cosmetic companies that you know have the big stockpiles of these ingredients, and I assume as well as the, the manufacturers of these ingredients, to help ensure that they remain secure. Wow. Um, now, the only time I've seen cosmetic chemistry threaten Homeland Security was that time you were doing some testing in the lab and you set a comb on fire. <laughs> it was, I melted the comb. That is, <laughs> yes, I do remember that. Cold security. It was this idea I had where I wanted to in, in, incorporate car, black carbon into a plastic comb because I thought that would reduce static. And so I had to melt the comb to incorporate the carbon black into well, yeah all, all i know is up. i'm still getting bad chest x-rays from breathing that in but anyway so that's the story about homeland security <laughs> and cosmetics god i love being a cosmetic chemist <laughs> hey randy uh you remember that time i ate three pounds of carrots in one night in an attempt to uh, turn my skin orange vividly <laughs> yes well it turns out that experiment wasn't so crazy after <laughs> yeah well we'll see well, in an article published in the journal uh, PLOS One, researchers found that daily consumption of fruit and vegetables produced a measurable skin color change. Hmm. Wow. So here's what they did. They took a group of 81 university students, both male and female, and they measured their skin colors using a chromometer. You remember hmm. how we used to do that with the uh, LAB measurements yeah. and hmm. things? Yeah, it's very cool. Well. I, sh I should mention that these were uh, all students from an Asian population. And they were able to get the, the lab value, so a value for the yellowness, the redness, and then the luminance of their skin. Okay. So, anyway, so they gave half of the group a fruit smoothie uh, <laughs> that they would drink every day. And then the other half, the other group got uh, mineral water that they drink every okay. day, right? At the, so equal volume. So there's a control group and a, a, a test group. Sure. And over the course of six weeks, they did skin color measurements to see what would happen. And it turns out that there was a large increase in the skin yellowness in the test group, and then also a slight increase in the skin redness of the test group uh, after just four weeks of the test. 
And interestingly enough, the effect remained even after two weeks uh, after they stopped the test. So, <laughs> so the effect was long-lasting. So if you have Asian skin and you're interested in changing the color, perhaps a daily fruit smoothie rich in carotenoids uh, is really the way to go. And you know, I've always been skeptical of this beauty from within trend, but this is at least some evidence that it something works, you know. Hmm. And we're sure the the test group just didn't get a sunburn. <laughs> uh, well, I, I I presume they uh, controlled for that, although it wasn't in the study. But you know, you have to assume some. Sure, sure, very good. Well, thank you for that enlightening discussion on skin color. I, I, I wonder if there's any uh, any way you can turn your uh, skin color like purple or something. Right? Eggplant. Just by what by what you drink. Sure, egg, yeah, egg, egg, the eggplant egg. smoothie. It's not right, just I'll, for I'll breakfast anymore. I'll try to eat three pounds of that. <laughs> hey, do we have any questions? Oh today? God, please give us some questions. <laughs> yeah, we're gonna uh, we're gonna start with an audio question from listener Abby. Hey, brains, this is Abby calling from New Hampshire with a question about Bite Beauty's agave lip mask. It claims that its natural formula smooths, nourishes, and moisturizes lips with a bioactive blend of organic agave nectar, jojoba oil, vanilla CO2 extract, and triple the amount of antioxidant trans resveratrol that's found in red wine. It doesn't mention anything about there being lead in this lip mask, so I'm hoping that it is safe and effective for drier lips. But I was also wondering if you could kind of tell me if there's anything else on the market that might be similar to this or that might work just as well as it's $26 for 0.52 ounces. So I was really hoping that there would be something else out there that would be just as good. Love the show, love the show Graham, I should say. And you guys are hilarious. Keep it going, and thanks so much for answering our questions. All right, thanks for the question, Abby. And this uh, Bite Beauty Company, in case you're not aware, it's a Toronto-based company. They handcraft lip products using, and I quote, food-grade or good-enough-to-eat ingredients. And their credo, or maybe it's their motto, what's the difference? I'm not even sure. All right, doesn't matter. Uh, it's to prove that there's no sacrifice in quality for products sourced from nature. Wow, that sounds uh, quite noble. But of course, things are never as simple as that, really, are no, they? No, never. You know, mainly because when it comes to cosmetics, everyone has a different definition of what sourced from nature means. But let's set that aside for the moment and focus on what this particular lip mask is all about. Yeah, well, most of the hype is around the ingredients Abby mentioned, the agave, the, the CO2 vanilla, and the resveratrol, which, by the way, is the ingredient most likely to be mispronounced in this formula. <laughs> but but let's, let's use our, our rule of five to look at the primary ingredients in the product, and those are lanolin, castor oil, agave, olive oil, and beeswax. Yeah, okay, so lanolin is the first ingredient, and it's perfectly reasonable for, for using this ingredient in a product like this because it's composed of you know waxy, cholesterol-like materials and other skin-compatible lipids. You know, so that means it's good for sealing moisture into skin and making skin softer and more pliable. Mm -hmm. Now, the big negative of lanolin is that some percent of the population is allergic to sure. it. 
it also gets a lot of criticism because it's an animal byproduct. Um, now you don't have to kill sheep to do this, but it just is. It comes from the oil from the wool. It's like uh, you know, our own our own hair produces sebum. Well, yeah. uh, sheep sebum. You know, sheep produce sheep produce lamb. Yeah. So, but anyway, it's it's animal derived. So some people might not like that. Yep. Um, the second ingredient, castor oil, is another good emollient. By the way, do you know why it's called castor oil? I, I, I didn't know this. I always just assumed it was used to lubricate the you know, casters, which are like the rollers on some types of furniture or whatnot. That's not it at all. So castor oil was originally used in perfumery as a replacement for the oil that comes from the perennial glands of beavers. And, oh. yeah, and the Latin word for beaver is castor. I did not know that. So it's like beaver is, oil. Yeah. Is there just no end to the valuable information that we provide on this show? <laughs> wow. Anyway, uh, so when it's properly mixed with other ingredients, castor oil can leave a nice film on the lips, which you know, would make a good ingredient for a lip mask. Sure. All right. Let's look at the next ingredient, agave, which is essentially cactus nectar. Mm. It doesn't have any any benefits to the skin that I'm aware of. Mm. You know, maybe it can help bind a little more moisture, but you know, the other ingredients really have that already covered. Right. It's primary it's primarily used as a sweetener, so in this formula, it just makes the product taste a little better. Right. Now, it does also have the advantage of having a lower glycemic load, which means it doesn't have much impact on your own blood sugar, so it's safer in that way, I guess. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess that would be a big deal in a product like a, a sweet and soft drink because you're consuming a lot of it. Um, you know, if you drink a can of soda with sugar in it, you know, it can really mess with your blood sugar levels. But if you had a drink sweetened with agave, it's not going to be as bad for you. So that that's fine. But you know, it doesn't really matter when you're talking about a lip balm because you apply such a small amount of the product. I mean, you know, instead of one calorie, you're talking about 0.5 calories or something on that order of magnitude. So you know, it's nice, but it, it doesn't really matter that much. To help support the marketing story, I there guess, There you right? go, yeah. Uh, then there's olive oil, or olive oil unsepafana. <laughs> I, I guess I was wrong about the most difficult in. ingredient to pronounce. <laughs> Unsepanifiables. There you go. Oh, there we go. Uh, now, these are also known as hydrogenated olive oil, and that's the next ingredient. Now, this is a solidified version of olive oil, that has some skin moisturizing benefit and it also contributes to the heavier feel that you get from the product. Yep. And then speaking of heavier ingredients, beeswax rounds out the top five. Um, and it's really there just to give the product a thicker consistency. This product is not um, a stick in stick form. It comes in a squeezable tube, so it's a little more fluid. And beeswax, you know, will help thicken and also to some extent it'll help seal in some moisture. So these are the ingredients that provide the form and function of the product. The vanilla, which Abby also asked about, is just there as a flavoring agent. The fact that it's CO2 vanilla just means that it was extracted from the vanilla bean using carbon dioxide and high pressure rather than a solvent like alcohol. Supposedly, this means the aroma of the extract is closer to the aroma of the original vanilla bean, but it doesn't necessarily give the vanilla any superpowers. It may just make it taste a little better, right? Yeah, again, it's it's part of the marketing story, but it's not, you know, her her whole point really was this product is really expensive and is it worth what I'm getting? I mean, I think it's I think it's a perfectly fine product, but it seems like yeah. it's really pricey for what these fancy ingredients are delivering. So you're paying extra 
for the CO2 vanilla without much benefit. Right. You're paying extra for the agave, you know, without much benefit beyond the 0.5 calories yeah. you're saving. But anyway. Um, but, you know, as, as we said, like, if price is your main driver, you know, then that's a consideration. But if you're if you want to support like small businesses in Toronto, you know, prices might not be the only thing you consider. Spoken like someone who's selling a twenty nine dollar <laughs> bottle of shampoo on the Internet. <laughs> All right. Are we still recording? I, I think we are. Right. <laughs> well, then that brings us to the resveratrol. Uh, which is often touted as a miracle anti-aging ingredient. So if there's anything in this bad boy that's going to be worth some extra money, it's going to be this ingredient, right? <laughs> well, maybe. So the, the, the hype about this ingredient started uh, because of a few studies back in the early 2000s, and those showed us that if you give older mice high doses, as, high doses of resveratrol, they're able to more successfully walk across a balance beam. Whoa. And, then, <laughs> and another study showed that it made uh, lazy mice look like they had exercised. So they're still lazy, <laughs> they just look yeah. like they've exercised. Apparently. <laughs> I need some of that. What's, yeah, what's wrong with that? Yeah, there, there haven't been very many studies on the effect of resveratrol on the skin, though. There was a 2005 study that indicated topically applied resveratrol can protect the skin from UV damage. But again, this was an animal study. A couple of studies have been done on humans. A 2012 study showed that people who took the ingredient orally had better quality skin. And a 2011 study showed that a resveratrol gel improved uh, or cleared up acne. Mm. But overall, the, the scientific consensus is that the benefits of topically applied resveratrol are just not well established. Yeah, it's like, it's like so many of these things. There's a study here and there that directionally looks like there could be something, but it's just not that buttoned down that you can say, yeah, let me chuck this stuff into a lip balm and it's going to be, you know, highly beneficial for me. Um, right. I, 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 by the way, I, the fact that, uh, I don't know if we mentioned this, but the, their website talks about the product having triple the amount of resveratrol that's found in red wine, which sounds like a crap load of resveratrol, but it's really not that relevant because you're applying such a small amount of it to your lips. I mean, think about the total amount of the lip balm that's actually going to be delivered to your lips and then consider the percentage of the ingredient in the formula. It's still a minuscule amount of the ingredient. So what's that worth? Yeah. You know? So it's like, yeah, you if you put if you put your lips on a glass of wine, <laughs> which I never do. There's, so there's three times as much. <laughs> so I mean, at at best, you're applying a very small amount of a compound that hasn't really even been proven to have much effect, right? But on the plus side, it may help you walk better on a balance beam. <laughs> so back to Abby's question about less expensive substitutes for this uh, Bite Beauty product. Mm -hmm. If the agave is just there for sweetness, the vanilla for flavor, and the resveratrol, well, just for the marketing <laughs> story. Uh, so let's say for the sake of argument, you don't need to worry about finding a product with those ingredients, then what would we recommend? Yeah, well, the uh, majority of the product is lanolin. So if you, you know, if you, Abby, if you've used this product and you like the way it feels, you need to look for another lanolin-based product because most lip products are 
petroleum, uh, pet petrol atom based or mineral oil based. So those are going to have a little bit of a different feel. So if you like the lanolin feel, then, you know, look for lanolin based products. Now, I found a couple that were very inexpensive, but they're in stick form. So they're probably going to be a little heavier feeling, but they do uh, have lanolin as the main ingredient. So I found this um, Koru, I'm probably pronouncing that wrong, Koru Naturals Lip Balm. Uh, it, sure. it contains just two ingredients, uh, USP grade lanolin and sunflower seed wax. And it only cost $2.80 for a stick, which is roughly the same uh, amount of product, but that's like a tenth of the cost. <laughs> So it's, it would certainly be worth a try. And then similarly, there's this Lanacare product, and that one's got lanolin, um, again, the um, artificial beaver oil substitute, <laughs> <laughs> uh, olive oil, unsaponifiables again, and beeswax again. So four of the five main ingredients are the same. And that one also only costs about $3 a, a stick. So two good substitutes, at least to try out, that'll save you a lot of money and see if you like them. Absolutely. All right. All right. What do we have next here? Well, next we have a, uh, a question from Kate in our forum. And she says, there's a new beauty trend going on in Japan and South Korea, alginate masks. They work by mixing alginate, the, the mask with water, and you apply it to your face. You leave it on for 15 minutes and then remove it by peeling it off in one piece. These masks claim to have a lifting effect to reduce wrinkles and hyperpigmentation. Is this something new that can actually work on skin, or is this just another foolish trend created by marketers like the Feek Company? To answer, <laughs> hey to man, to answer Kate's questions, I think we should start by explaining what it means for a product to be a mask. Well, in her original forum post, Kate asks about two ingredients that she saw popping up in a number of these K Beauty mask products. There's calcium sulfate and sodium alginate. Mm -hmm. Now, alginate is derived uh, from seaweed, and it's a polysaccharide, mm. sort of a long chain of sugary, starchy material. Sure. When alginate is combined with a divalent atom like calcium, these long chains or of starches are connected together in a process that we call cross-linking, yeah. which makes the molecule bigger. Yeah. And when this cross-linking uh, mixture dries, it forms a film. So that's the basic property of any mask, the ability to form a film on your face in this case. Um, exactly. And that film serves two purposes. First, it provides a tightening feeling because it's pulling on your skin. Uh, and that may give you the look and feel of, of lifting and may temporarily tighten some wrinkles. But these benefits are only going to last until the mask is washed away. Now, the second function of that film is to hold other ingredients like anti-aging actives onto your skin. Remember that for anti-aging ingredients to be effective, a few conditions must be met. First, the ingredient must be efficacious. And just because a company claims an ingredient will do something doesn't mean that it actually works. Yeah, that, that sounds obvious, but it's not. You'll see you know, skin masks and all sorts of anti-aging products with ingredients that just don't really do what they claim. So that's a, that's a huge point. Uh, second, you need to have the ingredient in the right form delivered in the right kind of formula. So, you know, it, it, for example, if the pH of the product is wrong for a specific ingredient, it doesn't matter if it's there or not, it may not work the same. Uh, and then thirdly, that ingredient has to be at the right concentration. Just having the ingredient there is going to be meaningless if it's at a much lower level than it needs to be to really perform its function. 
Right. There are a lot of ingredients when you when you test them in the lab. They work at two percent, but under two percent they don't right. work. So you need the right concentration. And lastly, it the ingredient has to have enough time to get where it needs to go. Right. Yeah. Some ingredients don't need to penetrate into the deeper layers of the stratum corymium to work, uh, and they can work fairly quickly. But others need to be on the skin a lot longer, and that brings us to the problem of facial masks. <laughs> well, actually, there are there are three problems with this kind of delivery system. So, number one, uh, masks are limited in the types of ingredients they can contain. So, unlike a cream or a lotion, you know, where you can easily combine oil and water soluble ingredients. Masks tend to be made with more water-soluble ingredients just because of the nature, because they need to dry down. You know, oils won't evaporate the same way that water will. So it's difficult right. to formulate a mask that's heavy on the, the oil-soluble ingredients. So you're just limiting the palette of choices that you can choose from, which is redundant, but doesn't matter. Uh, all right, second point, uh, masks are not the best delivery vehicle because the ingredients can be trapped in the film of the mask, which then prohibits them from fully uh, contacting the skin. You don't typically have that problem in a, in a cream or a lotion delivery system. Right. And most important, unlike other product forms, masks are only left on the skin a relatively short period of time, which limits the kind of anti-aging effects that it can have. Specifically, Kate asks about uh, reducing wrinkles and hyperpigmentation. Ingredients that are effective against these symptoms of aging need to be in contact with the skin a, for a really oh, long yeah, time. You yeah. know, think hours, not, not just minutes. Right. Anti-aging ingredients work best when they're left in contact with the skin. So whether it's a cleanser or a toner or a mask, if the product isn't left on the skin, you know it's not really going to work that yeah, well. Yeah, the, the directions say you put it on, you leave it on 15 minutes, and then you peel it off. So you're not, you know, again, you're, the mask doesn't have a large reservoir of the ingredients that stay behind on your face, like a cream or lotion would right. deliver. So once you peel that off, maybe there's a little bit of residual, but it's not going to be much. And again, it's all about how much you've got in there and what that contact time is. So masks just aren't going to be that effective. So the bottom line is, you know, they may be fun to use and they may, may provide a, a temporary benefit, but they can't be your main anti-aging weapon. Yeah, I, I suppose maybe you could make one where you sleep in it, right? Yeah, if that's that left on the skin long enough that it, it doesn't overcome yeah. those other problems, but it does cover that, that dwell time issue. Does, by the way, does, does Feek have any facial products? Do you guys have? <laughs> Nothing yet, yeah, okay. but if there's a clamoring for them. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, clamor. Speaking of clamoring, do we have any <laughs> iTunes reviews? <laughs> we do. Uh, we always take a couple of minutes on the show to talk about these because they're hugely important uh, in keeping our ratings above Fat Mascara, <laughs> <laughs> uh, which is another popular beauty podcast, by the way. Uh, so we always give you, if you can leave us a review, we will give you a quick shout out. So we've got a couple today. You want to do the first one? Sure. Abkey25 says, five stars. The podcast is a must for anyone who wants to be informed about the products they're using. Since I started listening to this, I've really reduced the amount of money I spend on skin products. I will say the podcast <laughs> can be a bit boring after a while. Overall, these guys are easy to listen to and just so knowledgeable. What? Boring. So, so she gave us five stars and we're boring. Imagine if we were engaging what the rating would have wow. been. I, I can only. <laughs> I think we need to bring back the game. <laughs> uh, here's a review from Disparate Housewife from Ireland. Oh, you see what she did there? Disparate Housewife. That's clever. I like that. Uh, oh, she says, beauty is an industry and this podcast holds them to standards while guiding listeners to be savvy consumers. 
I love that the hosts are intelligent and have a fun sense of humor. Oh, and that's humor with an O-E-R. Yeah, because it's from Ireland, yes. <laughs> sure. Well, Monica from Sweden says, You've saved me so much money, and I love to listen to you on my morning commute. Yeah. No matter how boring you yeah. are. <laughs> no. <laughs> no, that, that wasn't in there. Uh, and finally, Um Please says, I never write reviews, but this podcast is just so awesome I had to share the love. These guys address all your cosmetic questions in a fun, quick, and educational way. Well, thank you, guys. Thank you. See, those are the things. That, that kind of makes my day when I see reviews like this, honestly. Yeah, keeps us going. I know uh, we've we've fallen off in uh, our, our frequency and gotten to a, what, a mo- once a month uh, show. But, uh, you know, it's, it's comments like that that keep us doing this At show. At least a couple times a year. <laughs> exactly. All right. I think we have time for one more question. All right, Alessandra asks, is Johnson's Baby Shampoo a gentle, sulfate-free option for fine-haired adults who don't use many styling products and an inexpensive alternative to fancy salon low-poo products? Or is it as harsh as stylists say? Because in order to make the product non-irritating to the eyes, its pH is really unsuitable for the hair. So what say you, Brains? (laughs) Um... Yeah, I, I'm, tra- I'm just trying to make sure I understand the question the way as she phrased it. But yeah, so she's saying that stylists are telling people that baby shampoo is bad for you. That's kind of the bottom line, right? Yeah. Um, okay, so the first thing you'll notice is that, you know, baby shampoo does look different than regular adult shampoos. But that mean the ingredient list? It, it, yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, it's always strange to me that we use the term adult shampoo to mean the product, you know, contains sulfates or whatever. But we use the term adult movie to mean the film contains pornography. So it just <laughs> seems like an odd <laughs> use of the same term. But anyway. Uh, you know, that, that is actually an example of a retronym. So oh, it's a word sure. that had to be invented because it already existed, but something new came about. So. It's it's like uh, like uh, watch, right? When when ri- the wristwatch was invented, they had to call po- the old type of watch a pocket watch. Now to distinguish it yeah. from the new watch, now we just call it Apple Watch. But exactly. anyway, that's called a retronym. But go on about shampoos <laughs> and babies. Okay, so re- and pornography. Re- right? <laughs> So re- I just got that. Remember uh, that the ingredients most commonly used in pornographic shampoos are sodium and ammonium lauryl and laureth sulfate. That's your SLS and SLES and so forth. Now, these are anionic surfactants, meaning they tend to have an, a, a negative charge, that, uh, that they're high foaming and they're you know, good degreasers. Unfortunately, these can interact with skin in such a way that causes irritation for some people. Now, in typical baby shampoos, and certainly in the case of J&J, the first ingredient after water is what we call a non-ionic surfactant. In this case, it's PEG-80 sorbitan laureate. This type of detergent doesn't foam as much, and it also doesn't clean as well, but it is milder because of the way it interacts with the skin. That's Yeah, and you, you just made an important distinction there. I just want to point that out, that the, the amount of foam isn't necessarily directly correlated to how well it cleans. So, exactly. so well done, Mr. Romanowski. Um, how well does the Feek system foam? Would it be a high? <laughs> it, it foams great. Ah, it foams fantastic. Great. It's, a, it's a fun experience because, you know, okay, while that's foam. Enough. <laughs> uh, so <laughs> you'll also see that cocaminopropyl betaine uh, is, is in baby shampoo. Now, that's also a cleanser and a foam booster. That's used in both baby and adult shampoos. It can be made from coconut oil. Uh, so even though it's chemically processed, you'll still see it in some natural products. 
Next is PEG-150 diastereate. This is another non-ionic compound, but this one doesn't do much cleaning. Rather, it's used as an emulsifier to tie the whole system together, and that's going to give it a little thickening also. Right. And then finally, you'll see sodium trideseth sulfate. Now, how can this product be sulfate-free if it contains a sulfate? Well, sulfate-free really just refers to the detergents, that, uh, the anionic detergents we just talked about, like SLS and SLES. Uh, in this case, the surfactant's uh, considered more of a non-ionic because of the mildness it delivers from that trideseth portion. So technically, it's you know it, technically it is a sulfate, but consumers wouldn't look at it that way. Yeah, sounds like little weaselly marketing words, but maybe. <laughs> go on. All right, so these are the four ingredients that provide the backbone of this formula. Of course, it contains preservatives and colorants and a fragrance as well. It also contains a touch of polyquaternium 10, which is a polymer that can provide a little bit of conditioning, but it won't give you the same kind of feel of like a silicones or the guar that you might see in adult conditioning shampoos. Right, right. And one more thing, uh, it contains sodium hydroxide, which is a horrible chemical that can burn through your skin. Now, do you want to explain how that can be in a baby shampoo, or do we need to file another class action lawsuit against J&J? Oh, come on. You know, it's, it's all in the dose, right, <laughs> and in the conditions. Sodium hydroxide is very basic, correct, which means that it has a high pH. But a very small amount can be used to adjust the pH, and that's what they use it for here. Right. When you adjust the pH, the base reacts with an acid, and then it's neutralized. So in other words, the sodium hydroxide is used up, and it's not even really in the product anymore. So that's not something you have to worry about. Ah, excellent point. I was worried. Uh, now, speaking of pH, the, the pH of this particular product is about 7, which is close to the pH of tears, and that's one of the reasons they uh, have the tear-free claims about it not hurting baby's eyes. But to answer Alessandra's question, is the stuff too harsh, as she said? Uh, you know, I've even heard it said that baby shampoo is harsh because it's loaded with detergents to help get rid of cradle cap. Hmm. None of this is true. You don't need a lot of detergents for that more than just mechanical washing, right? right? What, you, you, what you might need is a carolytic agent that would help speed up skin cells sloughing off, but those are not found in a regular baby shampoo. Yeah, you know, cradle cap is a condition where you're, the baby's scalp skin cells don't aren't functioning quite right, and they're sloughing off differently in kind of big clumps, right. and so you can kind of scrub that off, but ideally, you, you know, you want to use a, a medicated shampoo that would help with that. Um, we're going to be talking about those in our show to be titled, What Causes Cradle Cap or Why Cradle Cap is Crappy. I haven't quite decided on the final name of that yet, but stay, <laughs> stay tuned for that. Randy spends a lot of time coming up with good headlines. <laughs> so baby shampoo is not harsh, but that doesn't mean it'll leave your hair feeling smooth. Some people think baby shampoo feels rough because of what it doesn't contain. There aren't really any major moisturizers or silicones in it that are going to help coat the hair and counterbalance all the cleansing action of the surfactants. Right. So the bottom line here is you may not like the way baby shampoo makes your hair feel, but it's not harsh and it's not irritating. So there's nothing wrong with that. Um, and baby shampoo that's available from Feek now, I'm pretty sure. No, no, we do no. not have a baby Feek. shampoo. All right. Sorry. <laughs> we only have one shampoo and one conditioner. And uh, if you want to try okay. it out, thiqe.com. <laughs> Okay, I, I think we're done. Can we please be done? 
Uh, yeah, it looks like we've run out of questions. But if you have a question, feel free to record it and send it in to thebeautybrains at gmail.com. And uh, we we might answer it in the next Are show you... or so. <laughs> in an upcoming decade. Do you want to mention that phone number thing, or are we not even doing that now? Your, your new, new dial-in phone number, new dial-a-question thing you wanted to do? Uh, yeah, when when we get that set up. Oh, it's not set up yet? What the hell are you doing? Oh, wait, I know exactly what you're too busy doing. <laughs> Speaking of that, I've, I've got to run, so i got to leave the studio here. All right, everybody. Well, thanks for tuning in. We'll be with you next time. And until then, remember, be brainy about your beauty.